Hope you guys had a good holiday. Hope you're thankful for many things in your life. Of course, uh, it's a shame if we need a, a, to set aside a day to consider the things that we're thankful for, right? Hopefully, we live with an attitude of thanksgiving. It's kind of what we'll talk about this morning, not to uh, d- teach on an obvious theme of thanksgiving, but personally, I have been uh, in a study with a group of men. We're looking at the attributes of God and considering uh, our theology and who, what we know about God and, and what our thoughts are towards God and how those realities and truths and thoughts ought to impact our daily thinking, uh, and not even daily, but just moment by moment, can God be trusted? Is He trustworthy? So I want to look at a passage that emphasizes an attribute of God that ought to cause us to be thankful uh, always. Um, But before we do that, I want to do a quick inventory. Um, Give me some things that you are thankful for. Anything. Grace. Okay, grace. My health. Okay, health. What else? Family. What else? Okay, the church. And what in specific to the church? The universal church, Christ being head, or local? Your, your church family, yeah. And friends with that. Fellow believers, what else? Okay, God's provision, just... You know, financially, but then in spiritual, Yeah. Okay. God's, um, the way he works things together in our lives. Okay. So God's um, faithfulness. Mm-hmm. What else? Anything else? Anything that's even specifically on your heart this week as you uh, are relating with family, friends, uh, taking time to, to ponder the situations in your life? Okay, God's mercy, uh, patience. I'm thankful that I'm the Lord's daughter and that I'm also thankful for my husband. Okay, just for our salvation alone. And then again, just... Um... <laughs> yeah, when he comes in, we'll recognize him. Lori, <laughs> we'll give him a special honor. We all love David. Good morning, Rachel. Not this David, the other David. <laughs> Anything else? This is a great list. Repentance. Again, knowing that repentance is really another provision of, of the Lord, right? That he grants us repentance. In our life. Well, looking at these things, obviously very common things in our life, as I have separated them, what what are the the distinctions between the two lists? Spiritual on the right. Okay. So what we have here is 
what would be called material things, not necessarily materialism, the love of things, but just things in our material life versus the spiritual life. What would be the differences in, in how we uh, perceive, even in regards to the things that we're thankful for? What's true of one that's not true of the other? What's that? You know, definitely the way we view things spiritually have an impact, right, on how we view things materially. What else? This on the left will all pass away. Okay. This right here is all temporal. This here is eternal. Now, when we think about our attitude of thanksgiving, when we even now uh, consider our countenance, our attitude towards uh, this morning, this life, and we and we we have the the sense of fullness when we are thankful for things, and and that sense can come from either aspect, right? When I consider my family, I mean, I'm filled with joy to think about uh, the blessing that they are to me, but I know that 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 sense can be uh, completely. Uh, affected by circumstances in my life. Um, so when we consider the things that we're thankful for, uh, we have to understand the the inconsistent nature, the unpredictable nature of the things that we're thankful for. We may sit, uh, somebody here may be sitting and, and thinking of all the regrets, uh, the discouragement that they've experienced, and really struggle in their outlook uh, in your life because of certain things that, that you have experienced or are currently experiencing, or maybe things that you are dreading coming up. And so that's, those are the things that impact us in our spirits when we're tied to the material things, even though each of these things we have to acknowledge are from the Lord's provision. They're from uh, His goodness in our life. But we can easily turn these things into idols in our life. We can long for these things even beyond uh, uh, the spiritual realities that we live that, that drive our relationship with the Lord, our communion with God. Uh, these realities ought to be the things that, that give us a cause to worship Him, to depend on Him, to trust in Him in every way, knowing that when things in, in the material life change, we're not tied to those things emotionally, mentally, spiritually, to where we begin to... What are some things that, that can happen when we're tested in this area of our life? Say a family member dies. Uh, you come under financial hardship because of a loss of a job. Um, or... Uh, you're inflicted with, you know, uh, an ailment that does not give you a good outlook of your of your future health, of of any recovery. What happens typically, uh, or how does this affect a lot of times your spiritual outlook? We lose sight of the things on the right hand. Okay. 
And, and what else, what else do, we, do we begin to do, perhaps? What were you saying? Okay. Yeah, we might begin to um, contemplate things that we could have done, things that we should do, ways that we can get out of situations. So we start looking to our own wisdom instead of the Lord's, Eric. At least in my life, is I tend to evaluate the list on the right by what I experience through the list on the right. Yeah. I think that's very common that we are challenged to do that, that we begin to. So who are we judging then when we start to judge our lives based on these things? Can we start questioning uh, the Lord's goodness in our life? Uh, There's a, a book out there called Trusting God that I encourage any of you to read. It basically sets up this proposition looking at three different things about uh, in answering the question, can God be trusted? It looks at his, um, uh, his power. It looks at his, um, uh, his wisdom and his goodness. And so is, uh, does God love us enough to give us what is best? Does he have the wisdom to know what is best? And does he have the power to accomplish what is best for us? So if we doubt any of these three areas that God is, he doesn't care or he doesn't really understand how to guide us and help us or he's, he cares and he has the wisdom, but he's powerless to bring about or affect change in our life. Uh, those are the things that we're challenged with. So if we begin in any way to question or to doubt or to, even as the proverb says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. If we begin in any way to lean to our own understanding and how we're to escape a challenge or a test or a trial or uh, try to rely on our own resources to keep things together in your family life or your job uh, or uh, even being tempted to do things that would not be ethical to maintain a status in life or a position. Those are the times that we have, we have refused to trust the Lord because we've doubted him in some way, and now we're trusting in ourselves. And, and what that proverb is saying is if we continue to, to acknowledge him, he'll direct our paths. It doesn't mean he's going to help you make decisions in day-to-day life. It, it means he's going to keep you on the straight path. He's going to keep you from veering off the path, and that path is righteousness. So that's, that's what's at stake here, is, is our spiritual uh, condition before the Lord. Turn with me to uh, James 1. We're going to look at a passage, and I really want to focus on one attribute of God through this uh, quick study that ought to give us uh, a reason to be thankful in all things, we're called to in the scriptures to be thankful for all things and at all times. And we see it throughout the scriptures. Romans 5, Romans 5 says that we are to rejoice not only in our salvation, but also in our tribulation. We're to rejoice in tribulation. Uh, and Peter talks about it, that we are to uh, 
uh, understand that the trials and the testing uh, that we endure or that we experience are for our good and should give us cause to be thankful. And then even here in James 1, James is saying, count it all joy when you, and of course not if, but when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result. So can you honestly say in, in, in your most recent struggle, your most recent trial, whether you're enduring one now or you are coming through one uh, or you anticipate one, are you rejoicing in it? Have you rejoiced because of it or are you prepared to rejoice when it comes? Uh, it's one thing that we can say is true that if you are not currently in a trial, you've either come out of one or you're headed towards one. This is the course of our life. This is a result of the curse of sin. And one thing that we need to remain consistent is is in what we believe about God. Is He good? Is He faithful in our life? When you uh, are facing trials or you maybe you are ministering to somebody who is in a struggle... Uh, or is facing a difficulty or discouragement in their life where they are to the point where something has to change and uh, their need is urgent. Uh, they, they get to a point of desperation where they, they, would, they would be willing to do anything to either change their circumstance, remove the struggle or trial. If they don't have a, a biblical concept of who God is and the, if their theology is not uh, as it should be, it will cause them to fall under the temptations that they will, they will face. And that is to doubt the Lord and his goodness in their life. And this is what James is bringing us to that I want to look at quickly when we consider what are we thankful for. Uh, and again, as we go through the inventory of the things that we're thankful for, it's not wrong to consider all the material blessings that we have in our life. As long as, of course, we acknowledge that those are of the hand of the Lord in our life. Uh, we know that uh, in the life of Job, we, we, we uh, saw the testimony of a man who endured a lot of hardship materially his family, his wealth, his health, all removed uh, in almost instantaneous as we consider that account, uh, all for the testing of his faith, which he ultimately endured through. But we know that, that we can uh, give false allegiance to those things uh, because they can cause us to consider who God is uh, based on material things. And we can never uh, allow the truth of who God is be determined by circumstances in our life, situations in our life. This is when we uh, begin to, to trust in those things more than God himself. Because the reality is, as Eric said, these, those are temporal things. And we need to be trusting in the eternal things. Uh, so as we... Consider what we're thankful for. Uh, I want us to look at really one main 
truth and element that we'll see in this passage. I want to really just look at um, in James 1, verses 12 through uh, 17. Verse 12, James says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So when we look at verse 12, it says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. He's really summarizing what he has already said in verses 1 through 11, where he says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The one thing that's interesting about When we take a test, is any of you that are teachers in here understand that you give a test to your students for what reason? To to evaluate what they understand and what they don't understand. Okay, the, the students think you're doing it because you don't like them and you're just trying to punish them. But you're trying to evaluate where they are so you'll know how to best uh, equip them to pass the test. Okay? But in this situation, who's giving the test that James is talking about? When we encounter tests in our life. Okay, we can assume that it is God who is aware of the, of the trials and temptations. And as his children, we know in Romans 8, 28, that he causes all, thing to work, all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we know that, that our trials are intentional in our life for the testing of our faith, but he is the test giver. But is he really unaware of where we are in our faith? Does he really need to evaluate our faith? Of course not. He, he understands where we're lacking, where we're weak, and even where we're strong. So wh- who, what is the test benefiting? Who does it benefit then? The test taker. <laughs> You're the test taker. Those of us who are experiencing the test. Why is that a benefit to us? You can see where you're where you're strong and where you need excuse me where you need to shore up your uh, uh, the holes in your armor. Okay, it, obviously to reveal the weaknesses of our faith, but even beyond that, I, I think that all, most of you would agree that probably the 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 most alarming passage in Scripture. Um, I didn't write the reference down, uh, but I think it's Matthew seven is where there are, the Christ says that there will be those who will come and say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied, we healed in your name. And he will say, what? Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. So, so obviously we see a situation where these men are convinced that their faith is genuine, that, and they were attesting to it by their works. But Christ made it very clear to them that obviously their works were in vain and that they were uh, workers of iniquity 
and they were deceived in their faith. Probably one of the most alarming passages of Scripture that should cause us to, uh, to really examine our own faith. But we need to recognize the goodness of the Lord that, that He is not leaving it up to us to determine if our faith is genuine or valid. That He is faithfully working things in our life to, to bring us to that awareness because of His faithfulness, His goodness in our life. And what types of things does He use in our life to test us? What are some things that we may consider test in our life? Yeah, just the things we've been talking about. And really, challenges in the material world primarily. And it's not that we won't struggle in these areas in, in just really trying to contemplate and, and grow in our knowledge of who God is, uh, which is a very fruitful endeavor to continue to grow in that. But usually the test will come in the material life and the circumstances and challenges that we face that will ultimately reveal and bring forth where we are spiritually in our faith. And primarily if our faith is genuine. And as he says here, that we would endure through the test and that the, the endurance has its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So what is that wisdom? that he's talking about. If any of you lacks wisdom, obviously in the context, if you lack wisdom through the test, if you are facing a challenge that is overwhelming you, overcoming you, and you don't understand what's going on, then James is saying, just ask God to give you wisdom, give you understanding. The wisdom is not in how to get out of the temptation. Uh, that's usually our first response. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen says, No temptation has overtaken you, such as is common to man, meaning that your situation is not unique. You have no one else to blame. We're going to look at, at that here in a second. But you, your, your struggles are common to man. Every man has the same struggle. And that's the test and the challenge of the temptation and sin, uh, that our situation is not unique. We are never to excuse our sin based on any situation or circumstance that would be unique to anyone else. But he says, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can, what you can bear, and that in the temptation, he will provide a way of escape. Okay, so we, we know that that the wisdom comes in God's faithfulness, his goodness, that he has a purpose in the test and the trial, that he is testing our faith for a purpose. And we know in Romans 8, he says that he causes all things to work together for good. That good, he goes on to talk about, is that we're being conformed to the image of Christ. That if we're lacking in any way, that we are, are being revealed the, an area of our life in which we are weak in our faith or we're lacking... Uh, it may be a struggle with, with anger, with lust, with temptation of some, in some sort that will be brought out because of the test. And our, if, if we are struggling to understand it, we're simply to ask God for the wisdom. And the wisdom is that he has sovereignly worked the trial for a purpose. 
and that he has already provided the grace. You know the situation in Paul's life in 2 Corinthians 12 where he is pleading with God. He says three times I've, I've pleaded for God to remove the thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what that thorn is specifically, but what's God's response to Paul? He says, my grace is sufficient. So that the answer is not removing the thorn, uh, but it is enduring through the thorn. So a lot of times we're trying to figure out how to get around the trial, how to remove the trial. And it's not that we're uh, to not be resourceful or to... uh, to contemplate our situation. But the problem is when we begin to lean on our own understanding and we begin to fall away from trusting the Lord's wisdom and understanding. And, and how do we acknowledge the Lord in that situation? How do we know that we're being faithful to follow the Lord's wisdom or that we're trusting him? What's the, what's the best sign that ought to... in Encourage me. If I see somebody struggling through a trial, what, what should encourage me to know that they are being faithful through that trial? Or what should I examine in my own heart to know if I'm being faithful? Your attitude. My attitude. Specifically what, Corky? Whether you're thankful or bitter. Whether we're thankful. Uh, Paul says, James says, rejoice. Consider it... Uh, uh, be joyful, be thankful. But if, as we think about, you know, our own experiences and our own challenges, have we truly looked at our trials and situations and rejoiced and we've thanked God for the trial? I mean, I can confess uh, you know, pretty clearly that I have not been faithful in that way. That I may end up there. And a lot of times we can go through a situation and we can glean back and, and, and kind of look at what we learned and think, wow, God was faithful. He proved himself faithful once again. Sometimes I can even look at a difficult situation in my life and evaluate God's faithfulness based on how things worked out in this area of my life. Okay, if I hadn't gotten fired from this job and experienced, you know, the financial hardship I would have never ended up in this position where now the Lord is blessing me. You, under, you ever done that before where you look back and say, oh, now I can look back and say uh, how God had really worked out that situation. But we're still really focused on the material, which we, again, we acknowledge is of the Lord's goodness. But what God is accomplishing has nothing to do with the material life. These are just really the the benefits that, that you gain from uh, the, the benefits of a righteous life, a faithful life, a blessed life. But we never want to measure a person's spirituality based on these things, do we? I mean, we never want to, want to judge or evaluate somebody's faithfulness in the church or in their life based on the things outward that we see. We always want to know what's in the heart. And this is where the Lord has complete knowledge of where we are and why he, in his wisdom, will determine the trial, the test, the challenges that we need to face so that he can move us towards Christ-likeness. Knowing that, that we're, we have not received our full salvation yet. We are incomplete. 
Now, in the eyes of the Lord and in, uh, in the truth of the word, we have been justified, therefore we are glorified. What is true of us in the future is true of us today. But it has not yet been experienced uh, in its completion yet. But we have a full redemption waiting on us. But in this, uh, in this material life that we continue to live, we still have the challenges of sin, the challenges of, of the flesh, the temptations from the one who rules this dominion, we have not yet escaped fully what our salvation has provided. So, but we are in this process of becoming more like Christ. Uh, Philippians 1.6 says that he who began the work in you, right, is faithful to complete it until, unto the day of the Lord. Meaning there is going to be a time, whether through our death or through his return, that we will receive full redemption. And it's God who began that work, and it's God who is promising to complete it. There's no doubts about that. What we have to understand and accept is that there is a a process in which God is going to, to bring us to that perfection even today. And it is going to come through testing and trials. And it's amazing how our spiritual life is so determined by our material blessings. We are so tied to the material world when we consider our relationship with the Lord uh, as far as the ebbs and flows of our own nature. And if you really examine what you might account as your good right now with the Lord, your, your communing, your prayer life is strong, your fellowship is good. It may be tied to the ebbs and flows of, of your material life. But when these challenges come, when the tests come, I think we all can acknowledge that we, we experience a deeper dependence upon the Lord ultimately. But when we are going through the initial phases of a trial or a test, are, are we really, uh, shouldn't we not already be prepared and deepened in our walk as if we were expecting it? Uh, so that when we go through the cycle of a trial, let's say, that we don't begin in the rejoicing phase, but we usually begin in the doubting and and, and uh, uh, where our faith may waver. But ultimately, because we are children of God, we may end up rejoicing through it. But usually it's at the tail end of the trial. when When that trial is kind of, we're moving away from it. It's like passing through a storm. Uh, when we come into the beginning phases of a storm, uh, are we, thinking of the metaphor of life, are we looking at the storm prepared to rejoice and even thinking forward and, and thanking the Lord for the trials that will come that will ultimately test my faith to see that it's genuine? And that, I think, turn to Romans 5 real quick. This is the progression that Paul takes us on in regards to our justification because we've, we've learned from Paul through the first four chapters that, that, that our salvation is not determined by works, that in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed which condemns us and that apart from 
the provision of his righteousness through Christ and our faith in that provision that we are left hopeless. So he says, therefore, in verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And this is a, uh, a peace treaty, not, a, not an inward sense of peace, but we now are no longer enemies of God. We're no longer haters of God. Uh, we now stand righteous before God. His judgment is no longer against us. So, because of faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Okay, It's talking about the present state of our salvation. We've been justified. That is a past uh, transaction that, that we stand in, but we also stand in the grace today of that salvation. And then it says, and we exult in the hope of glory. This is our future salvation, which is that full redemption. So we see past, present, future. But Paul, Paul then focuses on the present. Uh, and not only this, so we rejoice in these realities. He says, not only this, but we also exult in our tribu- tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So what we see here is this process of sanctification. First of all is that true faith will endure, and, and in our tests and our trials that we will prove our faith through persevering through these situations and trials in our life. And as we persevere through them, it produces what? Endurance. Okay, endurance, perseverance, then produces what goes beyond that? Character. Character, okay. Now, this, this, we have to assume here what this implies is that it's a change in character. Okay, we have to recognize that we... Uh, are changing every day as believers. We're not what we should be. Um, but we say, praise the Lord, we're not, you know, what we were, right? We are growing in character. We're becoming Christ-like. And as we endure through trials, trials change us, ultimately drawing us over to where this is what is becoming true of us that we are becoming, uh, as Ephesians 5 says, the fruits of the Spirit, that we are, uh, what is within us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We'll look at Colossians 3. talks about the character of Christ. He's compassionate, merciful. Uh, he's loving. These are, these are the things that we want to become. And as we go through the trials and we... Uh, see what's in our heart that come out of the trials and the testing and God's purifying process in our life is to see that, you know what, we're responding in anger, we're responding in doubt, we're, we're, uh, have a love for money, 
we're relying on material things. Those are the things I want to know that's true about me so that I can repent of them and, and become more like Christ, to be filled with the Spirit, walking in the fruits of the Spirit. Those, the only way we're going to, to come to this understanding of our own heart is through trial and, and temptation. And so persevering through will, will provide that proven character. It will develop that character in my life. So the Christian is always persevering and he's always changing. Okay, so what does this prove about? If you're persevering through trial and you're growing more like Christ every day, what is that giving you an assurance of? Okay, it's, it's, uh, it's assuring us that our faith is genuine. And this is what Paul is talking about, that perseverance and proven character will ultimately produce hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. We know that we are believers because we're persevering through trials. Okay, if we're, if we're going to examine our life based on these material things, and even when we look at the, the, the things that are, are meant to bring glory to God, that our family, our church, our friends, acknowledging His provision of all those things, that if, if this is our evaluation of where we are in our life, then when these things begin to be tested and trialed and stripped away, where is it going to leave us? Are we going to have the, the assurance of the hope? Uh, and that's what the Lord wants to accomplish. He, I love the, the example of the refiner's fire, uh, the goldsmith, where as the process in which gold is purified is that it's melted down uh, under intense heat and the weight of the gold is heavier than the impurities within the gold so they sink to the bottom as it's liquefied and the impurities rise to the top. And so the goldsmith simply takes a device and scrapes the impurities off the top. The more pure the gold, the hotter the heat, right? So he cranks up the heat to melt it, to liquefy the gold. It weighs down, the impurities rise to the top. That's the process in which the Lord uses trials in our life. That's the fire and the heat within our own life for the purpose of purification. And so when we consider this, are we capable of rejoicing, of exulting, not only of your salvation and what the Lord has provided and the hope of glory that one day will be with the Lord, but can we consider the trials and the tests that we face today and truly be thankful? That's the question that I'm posing to you today. And there's one reason why we can be thankful. There's one truth that we have to be so confident in and why we can be thankful that is back in James where we started. There's so much to consider in this verse that that I will not have time to get to. But one thing that, that James is pointing us to through all this and in in having wisdom through trials, being thankful through trials, that we are being uh, tested and approved as faithful, that when we experience a trial or when we're under temptation, that we guard ourselves from the tendency to do what? what? What do we typically do when we are under difficult circumstances or situations or bad relationships or bad jobs or struggle financially 
who is typically to blame? Okay, God. And, and who else? Anybody. We have a tendency to look at everything around us. And ultimately, when we look at our circumstances, we look at our pe- the people in our lives, our boss, our co-workers, our teachers, um, we, we tend to want to, to resolve that, you know what, if I can remove that person or that situation, then things would be great, right? I mean, I mean we live in this pattern. I, I constantly catch myself thinking of if that were gone, then this could happen. You know, the, or maybe the grass is greener type mentality that there is no true contentment, which is really the measure of our heart of thankfulness, that can we rejoice in these situations? Can we recognize that God is, is in some way using people, circumstances to test our faith? to see if we're faithful, to rejoice, to be thankful in some way. But ultimately, when we're, when we're blaming others, we are ultimately blaming God. When you think about the situation in the garden, um, it's, it's hard not to go back to Genesis 1 and look at the situation in the garden where we see the creation of the world, all the beasts and the animals, uh, the beauty of creation, and even to the point where the Lord, and, and each day he says what? That, that, that this is good. He is pleased with his creation. And then he says, it is not good for man to be alone. So he goes through this process of creating a, a, a wife uh, in Eve for Adam, just showing his abundant goodness in our life. Uh, and at the end, in, at the end of chapter 2, uh, when when Adam is rejoicing in what God has created, that he didn't have to pick a helper from the animals in the field uh, because none were suitable for him. It says that he put him to sleep, took a rib, and formed woman. And, and Adam rejoices, saying, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the first wedding ceremony. But then in verse 25, it's, it's an interesting verse. It really you know, seems to not fit. But he says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, this really reflects the nature of their spirit right here, that they're completely innocent, that there's no guilt or shame in their life, and that they, uh, because Adam was alone up until now, no, no one but the Lord would have noticed that he was unclothed. Now there's two of them, and they still didn't know because there was no knowledge of good and evil, because there was no sin, there was no guilt, there was no shame. Then we, we see what happens in the next chapter, the fall. Um, and in verse 7, after they had eaten of the fruit... It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Again, the most devastating event in the history of mankind right there. They knew they were naked because of their shame, their guilt. Okay, things changed at that point forever. When they used to run to the Lord, 
when they heard him walking in the garden like children running to, to a father coming home from work, they now hide themselves. They run from the presence of the Lord because of the guilt and the shame. And this is the state of our, our very nature and the condemnation that we're under apart from Christ. But what do they do when the Lord questions them? He says, he called out to the man. Um, in verse 12, the, uh, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree in which I command you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. So who, who's, who was responsible for that sin in Adam's mind? Okay, blame the woman. The woman, you, but then he uh, then gives responsibility to the Lord to say that you gave me. So right then, the, one of the very natures of our sin, or the, the, because of our sin nature, one of the initial tendencies we have is to push responsibility from ourselves and take blame for nothing and, and blame others, blame situations and circumstances, or ultimately we blame God. And this is what James is getting to in verse 13. He basically says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Now, we could spend a full session on that verse alone in understanding the nature of God, the holiness of God, that God himself uh, cannot be tempted, that, that to equate God in any way with evil is, is blasphemy, that in no way can we associate the holiness and goodness of God to anything that is evil. Uh, we could spend a whole session talking about that very nature of who God is. Uh, and also, we could spend a whole session of the nature of man. That the, um, the corruption of our sin nature. In verse 14, he says, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So the bottom line there is that we can't blame God because we are ultimately responsible for our own sin because of our nature, the nature of man, and the nature of our lust. But what I want to look at here is really in, in verse 16 and 17 that I think that, that I have had a tendency to overlook in recognizing you know, as we examine the scriptures and as we uh, looked to be faithful to commandments and, and have understanding, we always want to look for things that are revealed about God and his nature. Because the more that we understand and believe about God, the stronger our faith becomes. And I think that one, one of the things that James reveals here that, that, that really puts... Uh, in light, the very notion that we would blame God is really uh, evidence, evidences our rebellion in, in no clearer way because God is not evil, God is good. He says, do not be, be deceived, my brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. 
So the very idea that we would begin to blame God brings into question His goodness in our life. And that's one thing that I want you to consider uh, when you are evaluating your life and things that you're thankful for, that regardless of your circumstances, whether good or bad, whether your, your things are, are going smooth in your life right now, there's many things to recognize that are good. Or if there are particular struggles and challenges that you're facing in the material world, that we always have cause to be thankful because God is good. He is good in every way. So when we look at really what we can say in in looking at that passage uh, is that God only gives good things. So when we consider the tests and the trials in our life and we tend to believe or blame God that he's, even when we say he's allowed these things um, because of any other motive other than his goodness in our life, we begin to, to, to challenge that understanding or test God in that. And so James declares that God is not responsible for our temptation to sin uh, because, again, he makes it very clear that God can't be tempted by sin, uh, that his very nature is incompatible with sin, that he is holy and righteous, Romans 1.18 Uh, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. When God reveals his righteousness, he not only reveals his holiness, but it it in turn reveals uh, our wickedness or our sinfulness. And that God is only righteous, so he has no part in sin in any way. Uh that which leads us to the conclusion that God only gives good things that his works reflect his character so even when we consider the tests and the challenges we have cause to rejoice because it is from his goodness that he is because of his love for us is determining in his wisdom that these material tests and challenges in our life are necessary because he is good to us. And if we cannot recognize the depth of his goodness in our life, then we will misunderstand and we will begin to waver in our faith and doubt his goodness in our life. Um, You know, when we think um, in what James is saying here, that we have to understand that God has no responsibility in our sin, that we have full responsibility when we are tempted and when we sin, especially if, if, if the temptation comes through the trials of life that cause us to doubt these attributes of God or these truths about God that begin to bring into question, is God good? And does he, why would God, you know, you, you hear the question often, how would a good God allow bad things to happen, right? We see the world offering up that question all the time. And so they would explain their, that God's goodness and his love is reflected in his tolerance of sin, right? I mean, that's, that's the expectation of the church today is that we're to be more tolerant to sinners 
and, 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 and not stand against those things that come against God. Even in the sense when you understand the, the theology of salvation, that the question of does God love you enough or is his goodness uh, uh, reflected in a way that he will accept you as you are? Right? Isn't that the message of the world today? That we're to just accept and love everybody for who they are, right? Is that the way God loves us? Does he accept us for who we are? Who you are, but he's merciful enough not to leave you the way you are. But even beyond that, you're, you're exactly right. But what has he done to, to make us approved before him? Yeah, the reality is that he cannot accept us for who we are. But as you're saying, Eric, his love and his mercy motivated him to to provide the righteousness that we needed to be approved by God. And that's what we misunderstand about even his goodness, that to consider the what he was willing to do and what Christ was willing to take on was from his goodness. It was from his love, was motivated by his mercy in our life. And it's his goodness that continues to work that salvation in us because now we in the same way are uh, called to suffer. And, and what we have to recognize and what I think the world misunderstands is that things are not as God intended it, right? I mean, we just read the account in the garden where things were perfect, there was no shame, no guilt, that there was no hardship, there was no struggle, there was no temptation uh, that would bring hardship in their lives except their tendency to, to, to disobedience, that this is not the life that God intended. That when we encounter various trials and struggles it is not of his hand, as James is saying. It's the result of the curse of sin, where we are ultimately responsible for. And so when we have a tendency to, uh, to resent difficult things in our life, difficult people, difficult relationships, when we resent those things, when we uh, push away from those things and devise every form of strategy to avoid those things in our life we're ultimately and instead of what rejoicing and and being thankful for those things i mean we ought to when we see people going through difficult times and really facing challenges and hardships we ought to be envious of those things because if they endure and they grow in character then they are given the hope and assurance that they will one day stand before God approved because their faith is being tested. And, and God will not tempt us beyond what we can bear. So we need to recognize that, that, that God is faithful in our life, that we cannot resent the things that he's bringing in our life that bring struggle, that we have to rejoice and be thankful knowing that God only gives good things. And this is not only great uh, truth for our own life 
that James is unfolding here for us. But even as we counsel people who are giving up, who are desperate, who are devising every form of evil, uh, resenting God and, and blaming God, as you sit and listen and see people experience hardship that way, This is the truth we need to give to them, that God is good. He is not to blame for this situation in life. In fact, He is to be exalted. We are to rejoice in these things because He is uh, providing an opportunity for your faith to be tested so that you'll know where you're struggling, where you're weak, and that we know God only gives good things. And it says that he is the father of lights in verse 18 or in the end of verse 17 with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Basically, that was a term that was used in ancient Israel that would give reference to the Lord as creator, that he was the creator of all things, including the sun, the stars, the moon, that he created all the lights. But we see it used in First John and in other places that that it it also gives reference to his holiness, that in him there is no darkness at all, that he is light and goodness. But just as creation changes, the sun, the stars, the moon, with God there is no variation. He never changes. He is always good. And that's the point that James is making. So James was personally offended by this notion that uh, as these individuals were facing hardship and they were beginning to falter under the stress, that he was reminding them to count it all joy because God was simply testing them so that they would not be lacking in anything, that if you are struggling to understand what's going on, ask the Lord and he'll give you wisdom. But he's reminding them that God is not to blame for the circumstance, not only because he is holy and not only because we are wicked, but more than anything is because he is good. He only gives good things in our life. So again, as we consider this time of year and we come from a holiday where we're to consider the things that we're thankful for, uh, there are many things that each of us could point to, uh, whether it's from where we live to the blessings that we have in whether it's in this country or uh, any other material circumstance in your life, there are many things to be thankful for. But I know many of you are going through difficult times that we're not aware of, uh, struggles and challenges that you're facing that uh, the Lord has set in your path that, uh, that you know will bring struggle, that it might be difficult to endure through, Uh, difficult decisions you have to make. But to truly have a genuine heart of thankfulness, we need to always recognize that God is good in his character and in his love towards us, that he only gives us good things, no matter what those things are. And, And that's where our faith is challenged, I think, most of all, is in the attitude, Corky and Eric and and all that we've talked about, that are we truly thankful in all things and at all times? And does it go beyond the material world? Uh, So wherever you are right now, I encourage you 
to seek the Lord in his word, seek the Lord in his prayer. And as you pray, you may find yourself focused on the challenges, but I encourage you to look to God for wisdom and rejoice in his goodness. That's the challenge, to look at the trial and be thankful, uh, to look at the hardship and know uh, Stuart Scott says often when he comes here to teach one of our counseling pastors that does our training uh, often says that in regards to God's sovereignty and his wisdom that if we could go back and change anything you know any bad decision any hardship that we've had to endure that if we could go back you know you know the phrase if we only knew then what we know now uh, I mean, there's a lot of truth and reality to that, but if we could go back and change anything, we'd be worse off today because we're, we're relying on our own wisdom and our own uh, desires for comfort and for convenience and for provision and for a life of ease. I mean, that's what we want. Sometimes that becomes the goal of the Christian life, which is never guaranteed or promised. Uh, so we want to avoid that tendency in our life. And it's not that we go looking for hardship. We go stirring up difficulties. You know that those things are coming, that it's not something that needs to be stirred up. We live in a cursed world. Everything is dying uh, around us. Uh, and so we need to recognize that that is not of the Lord's hand. It's not what he intended. But through the gospel, through his provision of righteousness, he's bringing about a redeemed world, a redeemed life because of his goodness in our life. So any thoughts, questions, challenges, criticisms? Uh, I love this passage. I wish we, I could spend more weeks going through it more um, uh, intently. Uh, but I feel like I jumped to what I think is the conclusion in James's mind is that God is good and cannot be questioned in that. And when we doubt him, we challenge that reality and truth. And that in and of itself is sin. So we want to repent of that. So recognize that God is good always. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you and do want to always consider uh the things in our life, the things that bring challenges and hardships and struggle and know that it is resulting from your faithfulness in our life to not leave us as we've talked about as we are, but that you love us enough to continue to conform us to Christ. And that is the good that we recognize that you are working in our life, even through things that you have not intended but are a result of our sin, are a result of a cursed world, even a result of the power of Satan uh, in his dominion over this world that is bringing about temptation in the flesh. But we simply want to acknowledge your goodness uh, in the gospel, your goodness in our redemption, but even your goodness in our everyday lives to bring uh, everything necessary to conform us to Christ, even those things which test our faith. And so we, again, pray that you give us a heart and an attitude that would cause us to rejoice 
in those things, to consider it joy, to be thankful in every way. And I pray that that would be a continual uh, element of our heart and faith as we grow each and every day and as we strive to be a light and a witness to you, even in a dark world that needs to recognize that, that even through this life, there is a cause to rejoice and a cause for thanksgiving. And let that set us apart from a world that's suffering and complaining and is murmuring and blaming everything around them, including you, for their struggle in life. But we thank you for our salvation that redeems us from that struggle and pray that you would continue to conform us and be glorified in that process. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.